The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. The questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And if you want to enjoy tonight's full interview and every single interview we have ever done, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. And if you want to upgrade your life, and when I say that, I mean it, go to SunnyTazRadio.com and sample what we have to offer there. I guarantee it, you will never be the same. And if you want to get in touch with me, you want to be a guest on this radio program, or want to recommend somebody that we should be exposed to, or simply you want to give us feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Just click on the contact button of our website. And tonight, we have a very test veteran return to discuss many topics of interest. The mysterious TR-3B Astra aircraft, or should I say spacecraft, his research on 9-11, 15 years after the event, his plane tracker project, chemtrails, and his research on the expanding Earth, and so much more. Tonight's special guest is Andrew Johnson. He's a software engineer and developer, educator, author, and alternative knowledge researcher. We have a more comprehensive bio right on our website. His website is checktheevidence.com, which is also linked at ours. And directly from Derbyshire, England, I'd like to welcome Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Well, it's very nice to be back, Mel. Thanks a lot for inviting me. I'm, I'm very well, thanks. Well, great. You're you're a good friend of this program. Even though you haven't been back for a few years, you, you were an active participant in our forum some years ago, so we always enjoy your input. But recently you sent me some some topics that you have been researching. The first one is the TR-3B Astra, I'm going to call it spacecraft, but I'm going to hold a minute before we get there because almost on a daily basis, I told you this offline, I'm getting correspondence from people asking about chemtrails. First of all, people are too afraid to to even talk to their colleagues, their peers, the, the their family members, their friends, because they're ridiculed. Even that happens to me, I no longer point the finger at this guy and say, look at that crisscross pattern. So let me read an email from Roy Rochelle, one of our listeners. He emailed this morning. He says, Mel, we are in urgent need of an updated national report on chemtrails. They have become so obvious here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I counted six this morning, and I'm watching them very, very slowly spread out into the, into the sky, turning into a very dull gray. Please, please get some updates. So... 
since I know that you touched this subject, why don't we begin with chemical trails? Sure, yeah. Well, I think for, I don't know if you, you probably don't have that many new listeners, but um, this is basically uh, to explain to them what this idea is or what this observation is that we seem to have been uh, subjected to these persistent trails from aircraft, you know, more and more since probably the mid-1990s. And uh, it, it's quite mysterious, and I think it's probably a bit more mysterious than most people initially would, would think. And, uh, you know, what tends to happen is that you, you'll see aircraft going over, and, you know, I think both we both agree that when we were younger, when we were children, these trails appeared to just sort of fade away after, you know, a minute or half a minute or something like that. Contrails. Yeah, contrails, exactly. And um, But now we often see these trails persisting for many minutes, uh, you know, up to an hour. People report even longer than that. Um, and then we get these strange effects where we'll get one plane, then another, then another, uh, you know, going more or less in the same flight path. And then these trails will sort of drift with the direction of the wind and form a kind of haze blanket almost. Well, I think you're and, discussing Camp Trails 101. I think we're pretty versed on that. Right. What's your new your new theory of what this is all about? What are they trying to accomplish? Have has you have your theories changed through the years? Well, a little bit. I mean, I still, you know, um, wonder about what's in the trails like most people. But but I've also done s some observations uh, systematically. And this really started back in 2010 when I'd got hold of a, an actual tracking box. And you can, you can still get these. It's called the AirNav Radar Box. And uh, this is a device... And there are, it's not the only one. I think there are several different models now with you know, varying sophistication and cost. And uh, this will pick up what's called ADS-B uh, broadcasts from aircraft. It's Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, I think is what it stands for. And um, this is a little black box uh, about the size of a uh, sort of external DVD player. Uh, for a computer and, you know, a sort of CD size thing. Um, and then you plug it into USB port, you download some software onto your computer, and then you run the software. You plug in an aerial, uh, just about, well, let's see, five, six inch long aerial, something like that, into this box. And then it will pick up broadcast from aircraft that are in your locality and display their position on a simulated display. On the, on the screen of your computer. Now, people are probably thinking, oh, yeah, I know about that, Andrew, but you don't need to buy one of those because you can use planefinder.net or you can use uh, virtual radar or flight uh, radar 24. I think there's three or four different sites that are uh, putting this out now. And uh, yes, you can, but those networks are all actually uh, populated. The data is populated by people who've got these air nav radar boxes and other similar equipment, and they join a network, and then all their data is transmitted from their tracking box over the internet, you know, through their router at their, from their home to this sort of central server, which then puts the information on the website for you to download. So you don't actually need a tracking box. Now, um, I'll just mention because I had an email from from somebody saying, "Why can't we see planes being tracked over the South Pole?" 
And this is because the when you look at the planefinder.net website, the data comes from land-based uh, radar box detectors, right? And they have a range of about 200 miles. So in other words, when a plane goes out of, two, well, goes 200 miles from all the boxes in a given area, you won't get a signal picked up and fed into the planefinder.net network. So that's why you don't see these planes on these websites going over the South Pole because it's not like a satellite tracking based system. What's happening is the plane is transmitting, the plane is picking up GPS from satellites, then the plane is transmitting that signal down to the ground, and then the detectors are posting that information on the internet. Let me interject, in, let me interject for a second. Forgive me. But I, I know what you're saying regarding the, the southern southern equator. The, 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 we can't see that many planes. Right. But I see planes right in the middle of the Atlantic where there's no land for over 500 miles. Sure, sure. What what some of these sites do is they, they'll interpolate the path. So I think if the, if the um, data is, you know, um, if, if, you, if you get it up to a certain point, then it'll just extrapolate and it knows the flight path. So you will see that maybe some planes will actually be, appear to be tracked, but actually they're not really being tracked. What it's doing is, in, is, is interpolating and working out the speed, and they know it's going over the Atlantic, which is, you know, it doesn't really stop over the Atlantic. So it's just a projection, uh, not really... Yeah, I think it's okay. essentially a projection, then it's picked up at the other side, and then it'll be real-tracked data. But yeah, that's a good point. But why why don't so, they project the ones in the south southern equator? Well, then? I, I don't know why they wouldn't do that, perhaps. I don't know why they wouldn't do that, but... Uh, it's just that's just a point about the way the radio signaling works. So maybe there is a question regarding the uh, you know the sort of why they would project one flight and not another. It might possibly be to do with um, the regularity of the flight or something like that. I, I you know I don't I honestly don't know the answer to that question. But um, that essentially the, the tracking data can be used. For example, some people have pointed out and they, they've done this. Uh, such that uh, you can track a plane. You can, if, if you can see it, in, you know, visually with a camera, video camera, or with your eyes, and you can see if this plane is making a trail. And then, you, in theory, you can go onto the planefinder.net website or another website, or you can go onto your tracker box if you bought one, and you can look at that uh, path that's coming across your screen or your web page, and obviously you can identify the plane. Um. And some people have tried, including me, have tried to do this. In other words, when they see a plane making a big, long trail, you know, they can go onto plane, look at the plane number, they can get the flight number, they can get the airline, they can get the speed, they can get the altitude, etc. They can get all that data off that website or off their tracker box and write it down. Now, I tried to do this back in uh, 2010, and it's actually very difficult to get... Uh, you know, a lot of data because, you know, what you've got to do is you've got to sit at home, you've got to wait for a sunny day, which is a particular problem here in the UK, as you might know. <laughs> right. And, um, right. And so, oh, yeah, okay, there's a plane, right? So I'll get my camera. So you grab your camera, you take a picture, then you run back inside, you look at your computer. Can I see the track on the screen of that plane? Is it this one? Is it that one? You might have two, you know, tracks close together. Uh, and and you've got to keep doing that. So you've got to go in and out of the house, trying to take photographs. You've got to keep looking at your computer. And then if you want to do this 
you know, to get a good set of data, you've got to spend a long time actually making these observations. And once this trail has gone across the screen, you know, that's it. The, 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 the tracking program won't necessarily store that data. And, you know, you, 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 you've lost it, really. So you've got to capture that at the moment you see this trail. Now, as you know and I know, we don't get trails every single day when it's a clear sky. This is one of the mysteries which I, I still don't think has been properly answered. Which is what I tell people when, when, when I tell them, look at that. And then they say, well, that's just a commercial airliner, Mel. And I tell them, I oh, really? So do they take a break on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays? Because last week there were none. That's it. That's exactly it. And, and, and you, you, know, you can look at any airline and you see that they essentially run a weekly timetable and you may have seasonal variations. Right. But, it's, but essentially, it's a weekly timetable. So in theory, if you see one flight leaving a big, long trail over your house, you know, one week at a certain time, you should be able to go out within, assuming the flight's not delayed or anything, within sort of 10 minutes, half an hour of that same time the next week, and you should see the same, pretty much the same plane because they tend to fly the same routes and then just turn around and go back, don't they, in a lot of these flights. So this is what I was, you know, working towards uh, and I was able in 2010, this is on my website, to photograph uh, an, an EasyJet flight. EasyJet is a budget uh, UK airline. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to get it on the tracker. I was able to get a video of it with a 12 megapixel Canon SX20 camera, and, and, which had a high zoom lens, 20, 20 times or 20x optical zoom. Uh, so I got a fairly good image of that plane. I was able to clearly identify that it wasn't easy yet. You know, I could see the little orange livery on the on the on the thing, and then it was a big long trail down to the horizon. So I you know got that on the video as well, and uh, I was quite surprised because up until that point of actually tracking this and identifying the aircraft, I kind of assumed that that these uh, trailing programs, you know, were were, were probably military. Uh, run, you know, and uh, I mean, I'll talk a bit more about that later, perhaps. But so it was quite a shock to see the civilian plane leaving what, you know, I assumed to be a chemtrail. And then about an hour later, because I was still, we had still had clear, clear weather and I still had my camera going and my tracker going, I saw another EasyJet flight come over, but this one wasn't leaving a trail. But according to the tracking data, it had the same. Uh, type of aircraft it was an airbus a111 funnily enough uh, funny number but that's what it was and it was traveling at the same height for about thirty-two thousand feet same speed about uh, 550 miles an hour or there same temperature yep yeah. so in theory it was, it was the same day it was about an hour later so it should have been pretty much the same temperature it's over my house you know within probably looking up in the sky half a mile or a mile of the previous one so it should have been this pretty much the same atmospheric conditions, give or take, yet this one wasn't leaving a long trail and the trail didn't persist. So um, I put all that data together into an email uh, and I sent it to the EasyJet airline. This oh, again. my God, really? Yeah, I asked, I asked them what was going on. I said, um, you know, what? why is this plane leaving a trail? And this? why isn't this one leaving a trail? You know, can you give me some kind of explanation as to why this is the case? And uh, they basically said, uh, we cannot answer your operational query. So uh, that was that, really. You know, I, I couldn't really get an answer out of them. Um, but I had, and I still got this on my website, I had shown that there was this anomaly, 
with this trailing, which uh, didn't, to me, make a lot of sense. Um, but that observation, you know, that single observation, I think I must have spent about two or three weeks, you know, uh, spending various days because I had work, you know, I couldn't do it every day because I had work to do and other things to be getting on with. I couldn't spend devote my whole time to it. Um, so, but so it took me to about two and a half, two weeks or three weeks, whatever it was, to get that observation. So I kind of, um, I left this tracker running for days on end, but the, the software used to crash, you know, and it was difficult to track the planes. And then I had a, I got a, a, a wireless webcam so that you could set this webcam up. You could, you, you could set the computer to take a picture. I wrote a little program to drive the webcam so that it would take a picture, you know, every uh, minute or every 30 seconds and save it to a file. So in other words, I could I could track the planes and photograph the sky at the same time. But this kept crashing, and sometimes I had to take the laptop away because I needed it to, when I went away and you know, was doing things away. So I couldn't get a lot of data, as it, as it turned out. And tracking these planes was a bit of a nightmare because of the way this data was formatted. Now, let me, let me so, speculate here for a moment about what you just said. That's a very interesting experiment that you conducted by seeing the same airliner, same type an hour later and no no persistent chemtrails there. Mm. So what I'm thinking is sometimes you have airplanes that have a low seat occupancy, for example, you know, 50% full or 40% full. Yeah. And I know what they do is they sell their space and they bring cargo inside. What if all these planes are now equipped for a, you know, they have the, 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 the way to disperse these whatever it is that they're spraying. But all these planes are equipped, agreed by the airliners, and maybe there's an agreement with whoever's behind this NATO, just fill in the blanks. And they say, hey, if you have 50 or less percent of occupancy, let's bring our stuff and you can, you know, we can even operate this, you know, remote control. The pilots, the captain doesn't even need to know. What do you think about that? Well, I think, I, I don't know really. That That's obviously more speculative and I think yes. that logistically, that would be difficult to to um, you know to to sort out really to get that running in a reliable way and keep it. You know, if you imagine these, the airports are public. Uh, you know, they are public places, really. You know, and there are other people who can see what's going on with the planes. You know, if they if they're looking closely enough, a lot of course, a lot of people don't pay attention. They get on the plane, you know, and they just switch on their start reading a book or look at the magazine and then when they get underway they'll get their iPad out or whatever now you know um so I don't know I I, I don't think that's what's going on and I'll, I'll I'll come back come back to that a bit later perhaps but but what I wanted to just go on to is that the, the difficulties with this with this tracking that I'd I'd had the practical difficulties then led me on later and this is going back to uh I think early 2013 because I discovered that in 2013 there was a, a new way of tracking planes that became available, and that's using a little um, credit card-sized computer, which is called Raspberry Pi, uh, which some listeners might have heard of. And Can you spell it? It's uh, the, the fruit Raspberry, and then the Greek letter Raspberry Pi. 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 Okay. Raspberry Pi, yeah. And basically what this was done, this was, this was designed and uh, built in the UK, and they've now sold 5 million of these worldwide. And it's it, what it basically is to simplify. It's, it's like the guts of a mobile phone, you know, because you know that a modern Android phone or an iPhone is actually a highly sophisticated computer. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.